Welcome to the latest episode of Schneps Connects. Today I have a special guest, which is in regards to racial injustice. Um, she's the commissioner for New York City. The commission is supported by Mayor Eric Adams to educate New Yorkers about three upcoming ballot proposals that you're going to see in the upcoming general election. And the general election is coming right up. We're a few weeks away. And New Yorkers are going to be asked to vote yes or no on three proposals regarding racial equity which no other city in the nation has done. And keep in mind that early voting starts this month, October 29th, and will lead up to the general election, which is Tuesday, November 8th. So very fast approaching. So I'm pleased to have with me Laurie Daniel Favors, who serves as one of New York City Racial and Justice Commissioners and is Executive Director at the Center for Law and Social Justice at Medgar Evers College. She's an activist and attorney with a long-standing commitment to racial and social justice. She hosts the Lori Daniel Favor Show on SiriusXM's Urban View Network, and she co-hosts the Sunday Civic Show, which appears on that same network. She earned her JD from New York University, where she was a Root Tilden Kern public interest scholar. So, Lori, it's great to have you with me, and I really appreciate your time. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So give a little bit more background in terms of, you know, why this commission was brought together and what its real purpose is. Things I always like to remind people about when I talk about the commission is that we have all of those many millions of people who took to the streets in 2020. And, and if you can just remember what it was like in that moment during the first summer of the pandemic, we had people in the streets protesting for a number of issues, protesting the vigilante uh, violence, which killed Ahmaud Arbery, protesting mm -hmm. about the no-knock warrant that uh, ended with Breonna Taylor being killed. And uh, ultimately, when George Floyd, uh, the video of his lynching was aired and it was screened all across the country, uh, people took to the streets, not just by the day, but by the week after week and the months after months, and not just at, by the tens or the hundreds or the thousands, but by the millions. Yep. And out of those protests came a real demand that government and people in positions of power respond in some way to the racial inequities that had been really laid bare by the racially disparate impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so Mayor Bill de Blasio, uh, then Mayor Bill de Blasio, uh, one of his responses to those protests was to create this commission, the Racial Justice Commission, uh, who was, which was charged with really getting an understanding about the nature of racial inequities in our city and to put forward ballot initiatives, proposals that New Yorkers will be able to vote on that will essentially grapple with the legacy of racial inequality in our city in ways that are not surface level, but which can effectively move the needle forward. Yeah, a lot of people just are not aware of these ballot measures being a part of the ballot box, you know, either having to turn over the ballot and, and see the questions that are there. But talk a little bit about the specific proposals that people can or should look for on the ballots. So these are proposals that, again, you know, we, we joked about it in the very beginning when I before I was appointed to the commission, when I heard about it, I was like, oh, great, we're going to have a commission that solves racism. Lovely. <laughs> but what we ended up coming to once I, I was appointed to the commission mm -hmm. and after hours of hearings and testimonies and uh, participatory events in every single borough, uh, multiple venues, listening sessions with experts, uh, what we realized was that we would not be able to take this charter. Uh, and that charter is like our city's constitution 
Constitution. Uh, and our charge was to look at the charter and it determined how we could infuse a sense of racial equity within the provisions of the charter. We quickly realized there are literally hundreds of provisions, thousands of provisions within the charter. There's no way within our two-year timeframe we would be able to go bullet point by bullet point, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, to address mm -hmm. all of the ways that inequities can show up. So instead, we came up with three ballot initiatives that would be able to put the city on a path forward with some guardrails to help us move in the direction of racial equity without necessarily relying on person-specific programming. And I can talk a little bit about that in just a bit. But the first ballot initiative is to add a statement of values that guide city government. Um, our charter, as I said, it is the constitution for our city. And, you know, like most constitutions, we have this element of the constitution at the very beginning that's called the preamble. And the preamble is a statement of values. It's a statement of the vision for the group that's being governed. And it really is something that outlines the legacy that we come from and where it is we want to go with that legacy. So this first ballot initiative is a statement of values that recognizes the historic racial inequalities that have been a part of New York City's founding uh, that continue to exist uh, alongside all of us who are trying our best to make the city as, as equitable as we can. And it allows uh, our governing bodies, our city agencies, uh, our judiciary to understand that this goal, this preamble is setting out a goal of moving towards greater equity. And it is moving us towards if there are decisions to be made, which is the decision that is going to be more equitable and going to allow a greater level of access and opportunity to those communities that have traditionally not gained access. Now, some people have said, well, okay, a preamble is just a statement of values, but it is a guiding statement of values. And that is important. It's not just a recognition of what has happened in the past. Mm -hmm. It is a mandate to our city agency leaders and to the leadership of the city that when it comes down to decision-making, their decisions should be made in such a way that they are going to expand and opportunity. That's the first ballot initiative that people will be able to vote yes or no on. And is, the it, second, is it updating the language or is it giving specific language to add? It is giving a specific frame of language that will appear at the beginning of the city charter itself. And it, it's a little lengthy. I can mm -hmm. read the whole thing for you. I think your audience, that would probably use up our 20 minutes or 30 minutes of time. Uh, but the question they're going to be asked on the ballot, when they get a chance to, to vote, they will be able to flip their ballot over and they'll be asked the proposal. This proposal creates a preamble to the New York City Charter and it will explain what a preamble is. And then it will provide the language for the preamble okay. and people will be able to read it there. And they can go on the New York City Racial Justice Commission's website to read that specific language in advance of their vote as well. That's terrific. All right. So it's literally on there for people to read. I mean, listen, I feel like every business, you know, it's like before you even start a business, you create a mission statement because that's, that's right. the future, right? That's exactly right. And that's just one of the three uh, ballot proposals. And mm -hmm. the second ballot proposal, which is one that I'm personally very excited about, I'll just, I'm not going to hide the ball here. Uh, mm -hmm. But this is the establishment of a racial equity office plan and a commission. And oh. one of the reasons I'm so excited about this is because this proposal would amend our city charter to require citywide and agency specific racial equity plans to be issued every two years from within the agency. And the plan Plans would include uh, intended strategies and goals that the agency has have to improve racial equity or to reduce or eliminate racial disparities. It would also establish an office of racial equity and appoint a chief equity officer
officer that would be able to advance racial equity through a coordinated effort throughout the city. And while we may have an individual agency here or there that has uh, someone who's charged with sort of thinking through these things, this office would really require every single agency to engage in a real uh, in-depth look back at how they have done in the past when it comes to ensuring that there was equity in their distribution of services and resources and where they find that there were inequities, creating a plan that would take them forward in a way that will address those inequities and allow for greater access and opportunity. And then this proposal would also create a commission, which would be appointed by city elected officials. And when making appointments to the commission, obviously we want to consider appointees who are representative of the groups that have been traditionally excluded from city government. And these three elements of this second ballot proposal would essentially put the city on a path to where we are looking back at what has happened. We have sort of a baseline to see how did we do in the past when it came to sanitation? Were we equitable in, in distributing um, our education resources? Where, when it comes to uh, the DMV or any of the agencies that are specified, the city agencies that would be included as a part of this grouping, they would each have to look back at what they have done in the past. And then they would have to take that backwards looking data to create a forward looking plan. What I really love about this is that this is an every two year effort, which means we're not just going to have this one great period of you know robust expansion of equity. This is an ongoing basis and it would require our city government to from here and it, and again, assuming New Yorkers vote this into being, because it only happens if enough voters uh, say yes, that this is what they want to happen. But it, it would basically say that from now until in perpetuity, until we have another racial justice commission that updates the mandate, every single city agency would have to center equity in their provision of services in a way that simply has not happened before. That's the second initiative. Just a question on that. So that second initiative, is this really voting yes to be able to set aside also funding to be able to hire staff for that office and and move it forward is is that well, it is extremely it? difficult to plan to take on new initiatives if you're not going to have funding. And mm -hmm. so when our agencies are thinking about where the, their initiatives need to lie, they will have an opportunity because, again, they will have that backwards looking data. They will be able to allocate, as they do now, allocate their resources in a way that meets the need of the moment. One of the challenges we have is that we are so often unaware as to what the needs are when it comes to racial equity, when it comes to these types of justice provisions. So so they will have the data that they need that shows where they have perhaps not met the mark in the past. And then they will be able to allocate the resources within um, that are necessary in order to ensure that they are not doing so in the future. And, and I think when it comes to what we heard in terms of the hours of testimony and the communication from New Yorkers is that that is an investment in resources that New Yorkers are demanding, particularly uh, in light of what we saw happening from 2020 until now. Terrific. The third, I think I said the second was my favorite, but the third is quickly, it's giving us a run for our money. This is the true cost of living. And I just have to say, as somebody who uh, spent a lot of time in my youth in poverty, and <laughs> I have no shame about that. Someone as a child, I had to live in a shelter because my parents were not able to provide for us in the way that would have prevented that. This true cost of living is huge. And this is a proposal that would amend the city charter to require a true cost of living to measure what it actually costs to live in this city, to 
to provide for essential needs, to pay for housing, food, childcare, transportation, and other necessary costs. And what this allows is, you know, we have this mythology that says, sure, you can raise a family of four on $30,000 a year and not technically be beneath the poverty line. But if any of you are living in New York in real time, you know, that's absolutely not true. And it's much closer to more than $90,000 a year that one needs in order to have equitable access if you're raising a family of four. But if we're measuring our allocation of resources on this artificially low cost of living, then we essentially are perpetuating the very forms of poverty that contribute to the inequitable access that our commission was formed to address. So I'm very excited about all three of these. It's a tie between number two and number three as to which uh, is getting me most hype at any particular moment. So let me make sure I'm understanding number three. Basically, some of the data that you know, technically people were considered in a level of poverty are outdated. Yes. That needs to be updated in order to give services for people that potentially should qualify as being at the poverty level that are not currently. Is, is that, exactly. is that am I getting that right? So that way it gives resources to figure out what that actual number should be in in 2022? It gives us the ability to know what the actual number should be. And then we can effectively plan around that as a city agency, as an agency head, um, as city government. We are Once we're clear as to what we're dealing with in terms of what it actually costs for New Yorkers to not just barely survive, but to be in a position where they can at some point begin to thrive, we can't do that in the absence of the data. And currently, the way our charter is set up, there's no requirement that we consider what it actually costs to live in this city, to thrive in this city. And considering the the population concerns that many of us have who are participating in census, it is really important that we get as much information as possible so that as many people as possible who want to keep their homes here are able to do so. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, particularly with the the amount of inflation everyone has seen over the last year or two. Exactly. So talk a little bit more about the structure of the commission and and potentially some of the other members and how all of your brainstorming came to these three ballot measures and whether or not the commission is continuing beyond these measures. So the commission, our term ends shortly after this election, after the initial phase where we put out the interim report and the final report, both of which you can find on the commission's website. Myself and and the other 10 commissioners have continued to talk about these proposals. We're all participating to varying degrees in education and making sure that people are aware. One of the biggest challenges we have right now is making sure that people know, yes, there is a midterm election, a very important election coming in November, but we want people to flip their back ballot and to be familiar with these ballot proposals before they get there. I don't know if you're like me and you have a bunch of friends who text you from the voting booth and ask you, who are we voting for? Uh, We want to avoid that. We want people to be aware of what's happening now so that they can talk about this and grapple with it and really draw back to that spirit of 2020 that caused so many of us to be moved in such ways that we were engaged in conversations about racial justice that perhaps we had never had before. And Mm -hmm. the, the passions of this entire country that drove us to that point, we want people to carry those concerns and that same energy into the voting booth. And so we're continuing to talk about it with with folks like yourself and other outlets to really make sure that we're blanketing the city with information so that people are aware of what's happening. Well, I guess now I have a better understanding of why you love uh, measure number two so much, because if the commission is ending and if that's not passed, then what? 
frankly, that's the reality for all of these proposals, right? I mean, and you know, there are folks who say, well, you know, at least we got the conversation started, or at least, you know, we, we were able to take those protests and do something substantive with them. I am a person who believes in actual structural change. <laughs> I'm someone who believes that conversations are great. I love having a conversation, but I'm interested in moving the needle in practical ways for New Yorkers so that we can all thrive. Uh, and so personally, I'll take off my commission hat and just speak as a, as a New York homeowner, someone whose children were raised here, born in this city, raised in the city as a black woman who deals in racial justice all day, every day, I am going to definitely be voting yes on every single one of these proposals. Not necessarily because I think they're a magic wand, that they certainly are not going to wave away all of the racial injustices that we our city has experienced. But again, they put us on a path forward with very clear guardrails that help us figure out the next phase. This is just phase one. This is just the beginning of taking those paths passionate protests and conversations, turning them into something that government can act on, which from my perspective is what we want to see happen with protests. We want protesters to go out, make their voices heard, and then have elected officials and leadership respond. And I think that's what you see happening with this commission. Remind us again of where we can read those three ballot measures before the uh, elections. Where so if you may be found. Absolutely. If you go to York dot us it'll take you straight to the website. I often will just type in NYC RJC because <laughs> Google will get you right there as well. Uh, but that is the website, yeah. racialjustice.cityofnewyork.us. And that will get you there. You'll be able to see all of the commissioners. All 11 of us are there. You can read information about us. All of the ballot proposals are there in depth. Most importantly, the reports that we produced as well are also there so people can see the process from a much more granular level. You know, taking off your commissioner hat again, with your background and, and your personal experience that you shared, what do you think really has to change to really be able to improve the community, the city, and when it just comes to racial justice? That's a great question. I think that one of the things that has to happen is that we have to move away from this idea that racial justice is a personal feeling, a sentiment, perhaps the way you feel about other people. It has nothing to do with that. And that's one of the reasons that I'm actually really excited about these proposals, because this ensures that regardless of how you personally feel, we're dealing with the structure of our city and requiring the structure of our city to embrace a racial justice ethic. And, and the reason that's important is because, again, you may have any random agencies, there's more than 50 of them, but any random agency, you've got, I'm sure, a wonderful handful of people there, perhaps even a couple of handfuls of people there who care passionately about justice and, and want to fight for it. But if there's no mandate, if there's no requirement, if there's no uh, potential harm that can come from that agency failing to effectively engage with racial justice through their service provisions and, and the resources that they allocate, well, then we're just left to the whims of the good people who are there. We need to be in a space where we're moving beyond our personal sentiments. We're moving beyond hoping that a couple of good people will stand up and, and do what's right. And we have to engage with the structure and create mandates and requirements that are going to force our city agencies, regardless of personal sentiment, mm -hmm. to really look at the data. How are you meeting the needs of the disparate communities in the 
this community? And are you, despite your best efforts or, you know, perhaps because of your worst efforts, are you engaging with them in ways that you, you know, are you engaging with the folks in East New York the same way you do with folks on the Upper West Side? And if your answer is no, as a city agency, that cannot stand. And we have to be in this position where we are structurally requiring the governing apparatus of our city of whatever municipality uh, that you are a part of to be responsive to racial justice demands in ways that are data-driven, that are responsive to the the needs and the demands of the local community, and which are going to require concrete action uh, that moves us beyond the theoretical and the wouldn't it be nice if to the very practical, oh, here is what the data says, this is what we absolutely must do. I love it. Well, Lori, thank you so much for being with us with sharing your story and really what the commission's doing and what most importantly is going to be on the ballot, those three measures. So hopefully, first of all, people will get out and vote. Yes. You have to make sure to turn that ballot around and be able to look at these measures. So thank you again. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com.